so we're reading from ephesians chapter 6 verses 1 to 9 uh, children obey your parents in the lord for this is right honor your father and mother this is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land fathers do not provoke your children to anger but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the lord bond servants and masters bond servants obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling with a sincere heart as you would christ not by the way of eye service as people pleasers but as bond servants of christ doing the will of god from the heart rendering service with a good will as to the lord and not to man knowing that whatever good one does this he will receive back from the lord whether he is a bond servant or is free masters do the same to them and stop your threatening knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him let's pray lord we thank you for your word we thank you that you help us to walk in obedience as your children and help us to look to you to be your children wherever you place us whether we are children here in the room or we are parents or we are employees or we are have our own businesses help us to honor you in wherever you have placed us a god lord we bring before you those within our church we bring before you naval and me we pray lord that they would know that you bend to hear their every prayer with sovereign power and tender care lord we pray for chazel lord we pray that he would learn to continue to obey his parents in the lord that he may live eternally with you lord and that he will know of these truths of the gospel which would change his heart and which would help him to love you even more lord we thank you for where you've placed us lord we thank you for placing us in mira bainder we know lord that we are not here by chance lord we pray for those you've set as authorities in our nation and lord we pray this morning for gajendra singh sikawat who's a minister of water resources in india lord lord we pray that you would use and give him wisdom to distribute water evenly between the cities and villages and the industries lord and use the right kind of water either treated or drinking water for the right use in the right places a lot i pray that you would help us as well to use waters water efficiently lord and thank you even for the small thing which we can have like a drink of water which just comes in our taps we want to thank you for that lord for the gift that you've given us which in many nations even after they drill wells they are not able to receive water but thank you for putting us in a place where you have provided us and given us your provision lord we also want to bring before you many of our church members who are unwell we pray lord that you would heal them we pray for leon we pray for nisha we pray for um michael changela and his family we pray for uh their whole extended family as well all four of them who are unwell we pray that you would heal them and we pray lord that you would also be their comfort even as they recover and as they're going through pain i pray that you would help them to know of the pain that you went upon the cross towards us and the pain that you bore to forgive our sins and i pray that they would rejoice that in eternity that they would be free from suffering and pain lord we thank you for healthy churches in our country and those that are part of maharashtra lord we pray for kolapur bible church in kolapur lord and we bring before you pastor kaushal kale lord we pray that you would give him strength 
as he continues to preach the gospel to the people in Kolhapur, Lord, as he continues to serve diligently there, Lord. I pray that you'd continue to be his strength. Lord, we pray that you'd raise up more elders in the church, and I pray that you'd send him more support in the church, that he'd be able to work alongside others. Lord, we also pray for his health, even as his BP has gone up and he's left high, he's got double vision, and he's currently in the hospital trying to recover. I pray that you'd be with him and that you'd be his comforter, that you would be his peace, and that you would heal him, O oh God. Now, Lord, we pray that we will look at your commands and that we will live according to your commands which you've given us in Scripture, even as you've, we turn to your word, O oh God. In Jesus' name, amen. We come to chapter 6 now, and we're just looking at nine verses this morning. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 to 9. It's written to Gentiles that they are the primary audience. Let's keep remembering that as we go through this book and as we even near towards the end of this book. Um, the first three, if you remember, were indicatives telling us what God has granted us in the gospel and how the gospel empowers us. The next three, which we are going through now, are imperatives which te teaches us what the gospel does to us, how it transforms us, and how we are to walk in the truth, how we are to live out the imperatives, the indicatives that's taught us, and to live it out in our lives. Now, last week, we saw a lot about marriage, right? We saw how it reflects between Christ and the church. We further saw the husband's role in the marriage. We saw the wife's role in the marriage, and how God uses their functions to complement each other. We saw what is headship and what is submission according to the Bible and how the world defines it. And this week, text further, Paul takes us further in this passage where he teaches us on parenting. We kind of dipped slightly into it last week and commands to children specifically to parents specifically, especially to the fathers, and then also as employees at work, how do you work? And how do you, as someone maybe who owns a business or someone who employs people under you, how do you function? So Paul, in other words, is exhorting them to walk in the light as children of the light, to walk the talk, to walk as Christians. That is what he's exhorting the Gentile church to do. So the main idea of today's passage are commands to walk or commands to live as Christians. Commands to walk as Christians or commands to live as Christians. And the first point that we can see from verses 1 to 3 is right in the text, children, obey your parents. So Paul directly first addresses children. And that's the first command he gives them, to obey their parents and then again, he uses something similarly, which he used last week when he spoke to the women, right? Women, submit your husbands in the Lord. And so children, obey your parents in the Lord. That means children are to obey their parents in everything that they tell them to do. But if you have unbelieving parents or your parents tell you to do something that is against God's word, then you're not bound to obey your parents. They're not your ultimate authority. So if your parents tell you, for example, like last week, well, if you get married, then you need to, mostly traditional parents would want you to live with them. And so what are you supposed to do? The Bible says to leave and to cleave. But we'll see a little more about that. 
Or if your parents are unbelievers and then they do idol worship. There are some of our church members who come from a Roman Catholic background, so they have parents who do idol worship at home. How do you work that out? It's going to be hard and tough when you stay with unbelieving parents. So even for us as a church, even more, we should pray for them. We may not face that treasure, but they may be facing it every day. And so their faith actually is tested every time. Their patience is tested every time. And so it's hard. Even more, we should pray for them. What Paul does here is he goes to the Old Testament and he goes to the fifth commandment. In Exodus chapter 20, verse 12, you find that, Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord is giving you. And he takes this and you can see what he does like as a preacher would do in expository preaching. He takes that text and he breaks it up. He says, here is a command that is to honor your father and your mother. And with it, there is a promise. This is the first commandment which has a promise tied up to it. What is the promise? That you may live long in the land that God has placed you. Or you may have long life. Now I want to come to this whole thing of promises in the Bible. The Bible has a lot of commands. And then it has promises tied to it. Sometimes these commands are to the nation of Israel. And the promises are for the nation of Israel. So we need to understand its instances. But Paul is here using it to a Gentile audience. Even more not Jews. And he's using it in the New Testament using an Old Testament, Ten Commandments passage, a command, and he's telling them that you are to do this, and this promise applies to you, that you may have long life. So how, how do you handle this? There are a lot of New Testament promises on giving, for example, and it says if you give as much as you give, that much God is going to give back to you. Give in abundance, and God will bless you with abundance. What do we do with it? Oftentimes, we see this like this. I need to obey my parents because then I will get long life. Therefore, I will do this. Do you see that? You put the promise before the command. You put the seeking of the promise rather than the God who is giving you the gift of this promise. And so oftentimes, that's where the prosperity gospel, for example, goes long. It takes the command and... Instead of working with the God who gives you the command, it puts a promise before and tells you, well, you will get these riches and therefore seek these things. So I think you can go not only with the prosperity gospel, with all promises in scripture wrongly by just going by that approach. So what are we to do? We know that God has given us a command in scripture. And if you are saved, if the gospel has transformed your heart, then God gives you a longing to obey your parents. God gives you, now that's not what I'm saying, that your default is always to obey your parents, or your default is always to be like 100% obedience bar. Like that's not what I'm saying. But at the same time, there is this longing. There's a conviction of sin when you disobey your parents. There is a longing to love your parents. There's a longing to obey your parents. There's a longing to do what they tell you to do. These are the works of the gospel upon your heart. And therefore, you long to obey them. So you see that through the work of the gospel, it transforms you to obey the laws of God, to put into work, to walk in according to the laws that God has given us. And so that's what Paul is trying to see. Not selfishly seek the promise, but rather 
to obey what God has told you because you long to do it. So that's the first way you see that right out of the bat, as a Christian, everything changes. God gives you new desires to obey his command. And therefore you obey his command because he has given you these new desires. Then the second thing that you can see is that you have the holy God of the universe who's commanding you to do something. And the Bible says if he commands you, you are to obey. And therefore, true obedience to God is not running after the reward, but running after what he has asked you to follow. And you do it because a holy God, not only a holy God who's unloving, but a holy God who's loving, has loved you. And therefore you do what he has commanded as children in order because you love God himself. It is like a couple, like last week, right? Husbands, if you love your wives, you will care for her like you care for your own bodies. Because you love her. No one who loves his own bodies does not hurt his own body. That's what Paul was saying last week. Similarly, if you love God, you will not hurt God. If the love of God has transformed your heart, then you would obey what the God of the Bible tells you to do. And that's what Paul is exhorting them. As Christian children of our Heavenly Father, we hold on to the truths of his scripture that he's called us to do and obey them knowing that he has promised us life, not eternal life here on earth, but maybe good life here. But even if you do not have a good life here, maybe you do not have a long life here and you obeyed your parents, the hope in Christ is that you have eternal life with Christ Jesus for eternity. And therefore, children, you are to obey your parents, whether you feel like it or you don't feel like it. I think one thing you can do as children is to ask God to give you a desire to love him. Like I just spoke about the work of the gospel. Say, Lord, if this is what Christ has done, and if this is how my heart should be, then would you change my heart and give me a desire to obey my parents? It is not the default, again, I said. If you look at a small child, we, for my niece grew up, very close to us, they stayed very close by, and so she would often be at our place. And the first thing that you can see about children is they do the things you tell them not to do. You don't have to teach them how to do that. They do it, they learn it somehow, it's like auto-tune into them. You tell them, don't do this, don't open the fridge, the first thing they do is go and open the fridge. Don't climb on the bed, or don't eat this thing, or don't throw it on the floor, Whatever you say, the word don't, for them is always like do. And they just do the opposite. Right? That is how children are tuned our default. And so what do we do? We pray for their salvation. We pray that God transforms his heart and they do not do the things of the world or do the things that they desire, but do the things that God has commanded them to do and obey their parents. And so we should do likewise as well. Now I want to address, there are very few children amongst us, and after talking about this, I want to address as older men and women who still may have your parents around. Now remember yesterday I spoke about benefits and like differences in culture. Now there's a big cultural difference in the West that when you grew up, and we kind of dipped into this, 
You move away from your family and you forget your family. And you live isolated lives. Now, you can be leaving and not clinging to your parents and clinging to your wife, but yet love your parents. How do you do that? By providing for them, for caring for them, for calling them. By making sure that their needs are fulfilled. I want to go to Timothy. Timothy chapter 5, verses 3 to 8. So this is not only for young children, though it is primarily for them, but in one way it's for us who are still in one way uh, children to our parents as well. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 3 to 8. And here Timothy is addressing the issue of widows in the church. And this is what he says, honor widows who are truly widows. And from this whole chapter, he speaks about who are true widows. But right now, we won't focus about that. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and make some returns to their parents. And then you see the word for, the reason why they are to do this. For this is pleasing in the sight of God. So children, if you have parents and you are earning, your parents may have retired and they're living at home, provide for them. Don't forget them and let them go. Even you might think, well, my parents are super rich people. They have like the best house and everything. Still make a habit of giving them something in order to care for them. It's not only financial giving. Some of us might give money and then emotionally we may be completely detached from our parents. But emotionally also give them love. Show them godliness. Especially if your parents are unbelievers, even more, love them and honor them so that they may know that the transformation of the gospel that you have spoken about has really taken fruit in your heart. What happens often is um, and this is again a copy of the West where Indians when they come to Christ especially from other backgrounds and they are this is I'm not saying this happens in every single case but this is largely the case is when they're saved and if their parents are unbelievers Roman Catholics or Hindus or whatever they tend to not love them they tend to have a disconnect towards them now, there is some form of disconnect that will be there in terms of spirituality, but then they have a disconnect of even emotional attachments of love towards them. That is not what the Bible tells. Where does the Bible command you to detach from your parents and not love them? Where did you get this from? Because Christianity, to some extent, has been influenced from the West. And we don't want all that the West gives you. We want all their good theology and their knowledge but not all of everything that they give you. And the opposite case also is where children can grow up like adults. I've spoken about this and yet be stuck to their parents. So your, uh, your parents might be unbelievers. You might be a believer. And you do every single thing your parent tells you. Who to marry, what to do, how to do, everything. You want to do exactly because you want to please your parents. Now that's the Eastern problem. That's a very Indian issue. And so we do not have to be these extremes where you completely cut off from them but you honor them and why because the bible says this is pleasing in the sight of the lord she who's truly a widow left all alone has set a hope on god and continues in supplication and prayer night and day but she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives command these things as well so that 
they may be without reproach. Here's a contrast that Paul makes, and he gives us a warning. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, especially for members of his whole household, what does he say? Very hard words. He has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. I sadly can say there are many Christians who have detached themselves from their parents who do not provide for them, who do not care for them, who do not know what is happening in their parents' lives. And this is not a mark of a true Christian. If the gospel transforms you, you would long that they would be saved, but you would also care for them in ways and means that they need. My dad has been a good example for me while I grew up. My dad is the only child of his mother, and he's spoken about this before, so that's why I can talk about this. His father abandoned his mother, and so therefore while he was born. But what he did good was that when he got married, he was not clung to his mother, but he brought her to his own house and cared for her. And she was in his own house, so maybe that's something you can do. If your parents have nowhere to live, bring them and care for them in your own house, especially in their old age. She died of cancer, and she died, I think she was 75 when she died, but she lived with us till the time she died, and he cared for her. And that's not the only thing. He didn't only care for his mother, but my mother's mother, when, she, when her husband died and she had nowhere to go, and they had no ancestral home, she normally moved from her sons and daughters' places. And many of them, their wives were not too happy to keep them. Because, you know, older people become more cranky and they want different things and there are different things. Like in our house, for example, they would always, even if we have water properly, her default was always to go and fill every bucket and bottle and everything and keep filling. So some people might get irritated and they don't like it. So they might yell at them and treat them very badly. But she, even to her old age, lived in one of another son's house and in our house. And so he took care of her as well. What did this teach us as young men growing up? That we are to honor your parents. So even in the decisions you make in your life, you are actually teaching your children something. So men, when you detach, or women, when you detach from your parents in such a way that you have no relationship with them, you're telling your children that when you grow up, you can do the same with me. You can detach like this, and it does not mean anything. You can go be all individualistic in your life. This is not pleasing in the sight of God. What is pleasing in the sight of God is that we honor our parents with the right amount of honor that is due to them. Again, not exalting them and obeying in everything that they say. Unbelieving parents can have a lot of demands from you. So not obeying, saying no to that, but yet loving and caring for their souls. And for them physically as well, as they're dying, as their body goes older, to care for them. Now I want to turn to fathers, because the text turns to fathers in the second point in verse 4. Fathers, bring up your children in the Lord. Men are to lead in training their children. Now men, I don't know from which Bible they got this, but they think the work of training children is the mother's job. It's not my job. My job is to go and work. Of course your job is to go and work. But for some reason, they think even teaching the children the truths of Scripture is the mother's job. 
and I think we can address that last week. The reason is because they have not dealt with scripture upon their own hearts. They have not immersed the word of God into their own lives. And therefore, when they grow up as adults, they don't see that as a reason for their children to be doing that as well. Now, for men who have not done that in the past, how you can do is with the help of your wife, if she knows the word better than you. Use as a help and help her train them and lead your children in the little that you know. Yourself, yourself be taught in God's word. Learn to study the word and also teach your children to obey your mother in the truths that she tells. And you also try to work till the time we die, there is place to grow. And so continue to grow. But it is primarily the father's, because he's the leader in the house, his responsibility to what? To care for their children, to bring them up in the Lord. You know what happens normally in Indian households? The father is a dreaded man in the house. And therefore there's a detachment between fathers and children. Mothers oftentimes will tell their child if they don't do something, I'll tell Papa if you don't do this. So he's like the boogeyman in the house. That should not be. So if, if any mother does that, please don't do that. You're actually helping a child to go further away from your father. So do not do that. Father, love your children. Men, learn to love. There's this whole understanding that men cannot love. That is rubbish. See how men fall in love with a woman and love her? They can love. Or for example, see sports or things they enjoy. If you enjoy eating, look at their expressions and if you give them a bad meal, see their expression then. Or if, because I love eating. Or but, but if you love sports, for example, cricket, and your favorite batsman is having his worst day of his life. Often then, there's this whole understanding of men don't have emotions, they don't have feelings, they can't love. All that is not, that is rubbish. It's from the world which has designed men to become that way. That's not what the word of God says. We are not led by emotions, but we are emotional people. We are human beings who have emotions. And therefore, men love your children. Again, one of the good things that I learned from my father is that a senior pastor where we were, he was a good man. But I think there was some disconnect between their parents and they came out of unbelieving parents. My father had a lot of disconnect, but God transformed his heart and the way he loved us. And so he would always carry us and he would, of course, spank us and beat us. Um, but when he would love us, he would carry us and kiss us. And even now when we are older, like he would still kiss us, which sometimes we feel funny about it. But he still do that. There's not only words, but emotional connection as well. Now, in Indian context, normally the mother normally does that to the children. The father would just does not often do that. Maybe they do it when they're a baby, but when they grow up, there's this whole disconnect happening. This should not be. Men, learn to love your children even when they grow up. Do not embitter your children. All these, which I just ex gave as example, are ways in which men can embitter their children. Do not embitter your children, or they may be discouraged. Colossians, Paul tells that in Colossians as well to the church in Colossia. Fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. If you have a son who does not love God, it could be because you didn't teach him to love God, 
or it could be because you did not love him the way God has asked you to love him. Do not embitter your children. Now many times there are children who are disobedient and therefore I'm not saying love means lack of any form of punishment, right? Proverbs 13, 24 says, whoever spares the rod hates his son. That means you have to use the rod. But he who loves him diligently or disciplines him, I'm sorry. And so therefore you use the rod rightly to whack them rightly out of love, not out of anger. You know how anger is? WWF, right? What happens when someone hits you or something? Or if someone stamps your foot in the train, what happens? Anger comes out, right? You want to punch the guy or beat the guy or stamp him back. Not that anger towards your children. So oftentimes what you do is when they do something wrong, you ignore it. Till the point you are irritated and angry and then you take it all out at them at once. So what do you do from a young age? Tell them you should not do this. There are ways how you can discipline your children. Tell them do not do this. If you do this, then you would have to get a spanking. Warn them two times, three times and tell them you're doing this because you love them. And because God has told you to love them. And because this is wrong for them. If they do this, tell them of the consequences of what might happen. And if they continue, as all children, they're going to continue till the point they receive the spanking. Don't thrash them in front of a house full of people who are sitting and watching. Take them separately. So in that way, don't break their, break their heart or break their, what do you call it, their spirit to a place where they are humiliated before everyone. Take them to another room lovingly and tell them, because you didn't obey, I don't like doing this, but as a father, I'm supposed to do this for you. Explain why you are using the rod and then use the rod. You might be thinking, man, this is a huge process. I just want to take it and give it. That's it. Easily done, right? But in this process, you will also dull away your anger as well when you go through a process. So ask God for patience. And not only fathers discipline their children, even mothers do it. So oftentimes in a house, uh, this is how it might work, right? Mothers pamper and love their child, and the father is the one who thrashes them. Or the other extreme is if they have a daughter, the father pampers the child and loves them, and the mother thrashes them. These two should not be the case. Both of you should be willing to discipline the child should know that both of you equally are disciplining them. So like before, right? Mother telling that if you don't do this, I'll tell your father. Don't do those kind of things. You take it upon yourself when your father is not there to discipline your husband, sorry, he's not there to discipline your child. But do it out of love. Ask God for that kind of love that you might do it out of love. Again, the gospel changes this because the gospel teaches you that you too once were a rebellious person. Even now you do sin as well. All of us sin now as well, right? We're not already in glorious state where we are not sinning. All of us still sin now as well. And therefore, what do you do? You do it out of love, guiding your children to walk in the truth lovingly. And you trust God, knowing that he will do this. Now, as I speak this to parents, I want us to know that some of us may not be parents yet, and some of us may be parents soon, but all of this would discipline and instruct you 
so that you know how to discipline and instruct children. And this is the main command to it is that don't do this. And what was Paul's main command? He said that to bring them up in discipline and instruction of the Lord. To bring them in the truth and the knowledge of the Lord. So oftentimes as parents you are more concerned about worldly progress. Which education system to put them. What kind of qualification they need to have. What kind of doctor they need to become. Are these good things? They are good things. But they are not the primary thing. They are not going to last in eternity. When, they go, when your child goes to eternity God is not going to ask them. Which college did you Not even God forget even when you go to work. No one is going to ask you which college you studied in. In my whole year, of, of course, I'm in a whole different industry, but when I worked for 15 years, hardly anyone asked me where, especially in the advertising industry, no one even knew, cared if I knew my 10th standard or 15th standard or whatever, or even passed my 8th standard. All they wanted is my talent. So in some industries, that is how it is. And in some industries, they want you to know how much you've studied. But they really don't care which college you've gone to, as long as you've studied, and you've passed, and you've done well. So... Don't be so drawn into the culture around you. So what are you to discipline and instruct them in? In the Lord. In the ways of the Lord. Because that's going to last for eternity. This, as parents, this is the best evangelism work you have. This is the best discipleship work you have. That God has put children under you. Care for them. And so I think a good question that we can ask ourselves is, Men, do you embitter your children? And as husband and wife, how are you lovingly caring for the souls of your children? How are you disciplining them and instructing them in the way of the Lord? Now for those who are not married, don't think when I get married, all that is going to happen. Prepare your hearts, tune yourselves now that you may be ready that when you have children, that you'll be ready to lead, to instruct, to discipline, to train them. Just as the Lord patiently does with us as well. Which brings us to the next point. Work unto the Lord, which is 5 to 8. Work as unto the Lord. Now this text is directly addressing whom? Slaves. Do we have slaves today? No. Is slavery right today? No. When people normally come to this text, they say, well, slavery is a sinful act. Of course it is. Then God is kind of like not saying anything bad about slavery here. Which means he affirms slavery. And so this is speaking, not speaking against it. And so people get lost in this whole thing of slavery over here. The first thing we need to understand is that this is speaking to a Gentile audience. And even the Jews, when Jesus came, who were they seeking? They were seeking an earthly king who would redeem them of their earthly problems. So you who are looking about slavery are actually looking at it similarly, like just like the Jews. What did Jesus come for? He came to save his people from an eternal problem, the problem of sin and death, and give them eternal life. Not from an earthly king, but from an eternal ruler, that is Satan. That is what he came. So, for example, when Jesus stood during the trial against Pilate, and he was asking, are you a king? Pilate asked him in Mark 15, verse 2. Jesus says, it is as you say. And then later Jesus expands this. He says, my kingdom 
is not of this world. If it were of my servants, would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. So we know that Jesus who came was a king, was an eternal king and came to give us eternal rest. And he's a true king in the line of David. He's the eternal king who came to deliver his people from sin. And so we need to understand and look at this holistically. But Jesus was just not a king who came as a king. How did he come? Philippians 2 verses 5 to 8. So if, when someone attacks at this passage, directly take them to 2 Philippians 5. Uh, I'm sorry, Philippians 2 verses 5 to 8. Have this mind amongst yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God, a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. What did he do? By taking a form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. So this is primarily talking to slaves at that time for them. Today, slavery is a sinful act. We have understood it, and it's abolished. Therefore, in one sense, all of us work somewhere. And so it's talking to us as people who work. Work at our workplaces, or work at home, or work under someone where you are paid for it. And this is spoken to us as well. Now, there's a whole different story that some people are slaves to their jobs, uh, which people will quickly say, no, don't tell me that. I am not slave to my job. Well, let me ask you a few things. The first thing you deny when it comes to church, you're very okay to say, yes, I'm sorry, pastor, I can't come. I can't do this thing. I can't come for this meeting. How often do you say that to your office place? I'm sorry, boss, I can't come. You have become slaves to your workplace. Whether you believe it or not, your actions speak louder than your words. And so the way you live your life and you act it out shows it. And so now remember, now Port, again I'm coming back to what Paul is saying, is that we are to be sincere at our workplaces. So when I worked in my, one of the ad agencies, I had a friend who worked in my team. And every time people would come with, so in, in our industry, when you go to work, the work comes via line, so it comes to people who get that this kind of project has to be delivered so they take it and then they formulate it and then they uh, they brainstorm through it and then afterwards they, they give it to a content team a content writes out a script for it and then it comes to us so when it would come to us this friend of mine who was a video editor would don't give me that work so once the main person came to him have you come here to work or do what so oftentimes some of us might be like that at work, where we are like, so that's the complete opposite of being slaves to our work, right? Where you hate doing anything, and then someone comes and gives you work at your workplace, you're like, I don't want to do this work. So we all have our hearts tuned differently in different forms of sin, and therefore we need to work at it. And Paul says, do not work just because to please your bosses, so that they, when they see, they see you working. But when they're not seeing, you're doing something else. How do you use your time at work? Are you just maybe doing calls or are you surfing on the internet because you have nothing to do or are you doing just free, you're making the best use of time and having fun? Now, you might work in a workplace which gives you a lot of free time certain times and 
takes all your time than other time. That's completely different what you do then. But still, when there is work, what are you doing at work is a good thing to ask. How do you steward this work that God has given you? <clears throat> do you just do it in order to finish the work and leave? Or do you just do it because you need to get the job done with? Or are you putting your efforts in it? And when again I spoke about slaves thing to work, I, sadly I think most men have, can, I don't need to give them a lecture on how to work because they all do it very well at work. But you give them something to do which has nothing to do with their work, especially to do with church work, it's all haphazard. And that is not should be how we are to do. What is Paul talking about? Work everywhere. So work, even he's basically bombarding the men, even before when you spoke, he spoke about parenting, what is the husband's work at home? To father the children, to bring them in the discipline of God. Are they doing a good job there? Oftentimes, no. So you see what the world has done, it has made us, the slavery is abolished, it has made slaves of men to the workplaces, but where God has commanded them to discipline and instruct at home, they fail to do it. Where God calls them to uh, care for those within the local church, they fail to do it. Where God calls them to make disciples, they fail to do it. Where God asks them to be disciples, they fail to do it. Where God asks them to, to um, uh, build up their wives in the word, to wash her in the word, they fail to do that. They only do something which is a means of which God has placed them to do all of these other things, but that has become the priority. Which is a sad state of affairs in today's time. And oftentimes we ask, why are the men in the church? The reason why mostly the women are the most active is because men are misplaced this priority. So if brothers, if you're listening to me today, or a lot of us are not here, um, please tell them to, I'll edit this sermon and give it afterwards, tell them to listen to last week's and this week's. These are important things that men and women need to know about. Simple things. Many of us know more about football and cricket than God's word, which should not be the case. So how are you using your office timings? How do you, do you waste your time at work? How do you also work in other places and spheres God has placed to you in your uh, as a husband, how are you functioning? As a this person in the church who is called to disciple other men, how are you doing that? How are you functioning? But all of us, are we good stewards at our workplaces? Even sisters, you, I'm sure you can be more into Mintra and all the nail polish well, our websites and looking at those kind of things. I've had friends who are mostly taking selfies and just looking at all the beauty stuff and buying that. Uh, when I worked in the ad industry, the, the amount of bags that would come outside the office for women was like bags and clothes. And it would come, I would feel bad sometimes to return a product, but these kind of people are bringing it, oh, I don't like this, send it back, another bag, another clothes. All their life is just into that. Are you busy doing this at work or are you actually using your time wisely at work in what you've called to do? You can do that at work or you can, as a mother, come at home, turn on the TV and give your child what? The new attention box, the tablet. And so children on the tablet, scrolling around and doing their own thing, 
while you watch the TV, you are like, man, I don't have the trouble of now. You've sorted what the Bible tells you, right? Train all this love thing and training up your children with love. See, I'm doing it so lovingly. He is lovingly enjoying, I am lovingly enjoying. But you're actually, with everything that your child watches, is being inculcated to, that, to your child. You do not know that. You have temporal freedom from hardship, but you're preparing a child for eternal struggles later on. And you don't know what's going to come towards you afterwards. And so we must remember that God is telling us to diligently work as husbands, as fathers, as mothers, or wherever God has placed you to work diligently. That goes for me as well. Oftentimes where I struggle is, since we're talking about it, let me put me in myself in the spot. When I have to prepare my sermon, I normally try to do at least my outline by Tuesday. An outline is a structure of how my sermon will be. For example, those four points are the outlines. So that means on Tuesday I have to study the text, like what we do on a Wednesday Bible study, but a little more intensely with much, not in a one-hour process, but in a little more over-the-week kind of thing. And so my outline, by the time it comes to Thursday, has been changed and remodeled and restructured. So that on Friday and Saturday, I have time to at least sit and then light out my transcript. I have not come to a point, I have some pastor friends who just make the outline, those four points, and they can go preach the whole sermon for over an hour. I've still not come to that point, so everything is written down here, what I say. This is not written down, what I'm saying. But normally everything is written down. So what happens to me is, Oftentimes, when it is busy time, like for last week I was in Manipur and then I had to come back, all of it got pushed to end Friday and Saturday. And so I am last end moment trying to do everything. So am I using my time diligently? That's something I need to ask myself as well. And so all of us in our workplaces and how we function, we can function differently and wrongly. But God is asking us to do it wisely and function in all the spheres God has asked us to function. Now I want to come to the last point, verse 9. Master, show no partiality. Verse 9, the fourth point. Master, show no partiality. Now again, this is talking to slave masters or masters who have servants, either free or slaves. But today, you may be a boss where you may be leading a team at work, or maybe you at home, if you're a father, you're leading people. Or maybe there's someone who comes to your house who works. A maid who comes to your house who works. Right? You're all employing someone. Your masters in some sense, somewhere or the other. How are you working? It is very normal in the world that if you feel that they've not functioned enough, you do not pay their wages. They do hold back their wages. It's very normal in the world that if something is sold for 100 rupees and if someone is overpricing it for 150 rupees, for a Christian man, especially when he meets another Christian man, he expects that same thing for 50 rupees. I don't know from where that came again. Rather, I would say, if this is your brother in Christ, you give him that 120 instead of giving the pagan over there, give it to your brother in Christ. But you want to pull it down even more and pay them lesser just because they're Christians. These ideologies are not biblical, they're worldly. Just like you go to buy to the Baji market, right? You buy a vegetable, you try to go to the lowest budget as much as you can, 
We use this even in the church. We think that is efficient living. Do not do that in workplaces. Don't do it in the church as well. Pay your laborers the right amount of wage they are to pay. Remember again, apply the gospel to all of life. That God has given you freely in the gospel more than you deserve for eternity. You don't deserve salvation. I don't deserve salvation. All of us deserved eternal death. But God, in his goodness, became a servant, just like us as men, and died for sinful men so that we could have eternal life with him. And so as masters, how are you caring for your people? Now some of you might be like, you don't know how it is to work in the world. If you show this kind of love, people will use you. You can be loving and at the same time be really strict and say no, that's it. It was one of the new experience for me. When I first started working as an admin, there were four, three peons, two watchmen and two maids under me when I worked in the church. That was the first time I had someone like that work and a whole different thing. And these people are from a class which normally has not studied a lot, right? And so it becomes even more harder to instruct them. And so they do their own thing. They go and hide and they, uh, instead of sweeping or swabbing, they will do their own thing. And so then I would often tell them nicely. But at the same time, I would be very strict with them. If you don't do this, you'll have to stay back, finish this and go. So I'd be strict with them. But at the same time, when I would take them out anytime to go buy things, I would buy things. If I'm eating a vada pav, I'd buy them also a vada pav. If I am having a cold drink, I'd buy them. I'd ask them, are you thirsty? Are you hungry? We'd have to go like uh, in Kolaba area and sometimes off maybe two, three hours away, just in the sun buying things. And so oftentimes when other church leaders would take these men, they would drag them like dogs and not feed them anything and just bring them back. So why should I buy something for them? Love them when you take them out. That is a way you maybe you can provide for them. Even at workplace, maybe it's your birthday. Give them, buy them, give them something. So that they know you really care for them. And at the same time, be firm and strict with them. You know, actually, what I found is that whenever I tell them to do something, they just go and do it. When I actually show them you love them. We often use worldly structures to function worldly in the world and then we bring those into the church and we use that in the church as well, which should not be the case. Worldly structures are very selfish. They're individualistic and only want to please a certain person. But the word of God is different. It is not like that. Now, let's go to Leviticus chapter 19, verse 13. This is what it says in the Old Testament. You shall not oppress your neighbor or rob him. The wages of a hired servant shall not remain with you all night until morning. That means the time you tell someone you're going to pay him this amount for doing this job, pay them that amount then. Let your yes be yes, your no be no. James 5 verse 4, this is not only an Old Testament command. Behold the wages of your laborers who mowed your fields which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you, and the cries of the harvester have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. If the unbelieving servant who works in your house, and you've not paid them for years together, or months together, and you're overworking them and not paying them, if they cry out to the Lord, the Lord will hear them, and will punish you, even if you're his son and daughter. 
and maybe if you're constantly doing this then maybe this is a sinful act that you have endeavored and maybe if this flows into all of life then maybe question yourself if you are saved if there's no conviction and so god loves and cares for the oppressed if if you have a mother a father who's old care for them if you have people who work under you care for them men and women uh, husbands and wives care for your children paul is telling the church in ephesus i'm going into the details of your life do not walk as gentiles remember that's what he said before but walk as children of god paul's telling us through the holy spirit from god's word church light of life community church do not walk as gentiles walk as children of god saved by his grace walk through faith so let us remember as we go back this week to be children of god let us walk as children obedient to our parents to love our parents even if our parents aren't there now remember what i said to care for them look out for them know what's happening in their life don't be disconnected from them as workers to work obediently and diligently at work as businessmen or people who employ people to work under you to care for their souls and to provide for them and as parents to train up your child in the way he should go as god has commanded you to do for all of this is pleasing in the sight of god far it be that when pagans cry out to god that god judges us as pagans or maybe judges you as pagans because you are not doing what god has commanded you to do so let us in this week as we go back look to christ who's walked before us who's walked perfectly who's the great high priest who stands in our place and let us look to him for hope let us ask him for strength as we go back this week as parents as children and as workers and as bosses let us use all of this to change our lives let's pray lord we thank you that you sent your son jesus who is the king and lord of all universe who took the form of a servant and came as a man in human likeness and humbled himself to the point of death even death on the cross that through his death that we might receive forgiveness of our sins that the wrath that was supposed to be poured on us was poured on him and through his resurrection and his overcoming of sin and death that we might receive eternal life lord as we go back this week help us to look to christ the servant king and help us to serve righteously and help us to walk as your children and according to the commands that you have given us as children that we may obey our parents and care and love our parents as parents to provide for our children as men who work and women at work that we would work diligently and if you have set people to work under us that we would love them and show them the love of Christ and tell them this work of the gospel has really transformed my heart and lord we pray that all of this would bring glory to your name in jesus name amen let's take a few minutes of silence before we close with a benediction and reflect thought we just heard from god now may the god of peace who brought again from the dead our lord jesus christ the great shepherd of the sheep 
by the blood of eternal covenant, equip you with everything good, that you may do his will, working in us, which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you and remain upon you. And all the saints said, Amen.